Amen. Uh, if you would, take your Bibles, turn to 2 Peter today. <clears throat> Peter's coming in for a landing in his book, and so are we, in terms of uh, working our way through it. His focus is staying on course. He's challenging those people then, and he's challenging us today that we would stay on course and to live a life that is quantitatively representative of the Lord's touch upon our lives. I mean, that's really what he ultimately wants us to do, that we can walk and live and move and have our being in such a way that when people see us, they go, yeah, there's something of the residency and the presence of God upon their lives. Now, we're coming to this passage today that, um, you know, it's, 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 I don't, it's not inspiring, at least it didn't inspire me. Um, I don't know that it's encouraging. It didn't really encourage me. But here we are, and we're gonna, I'm going to talk about it. Because see, the Apostle Paul now, he's a little ticked off. He just finished chapter 1 talking about that no prophecy of the Bible, nothing of the Scriptures comes because of a man's thinking or interpretation, but because God's Spirit works in and resides upon. And that's important because of what he's going to talk about next. Because he talks about, don't listen to anybody and their interpretation. Go to the Word. Because what we're going to talk about today is false teachers and false leaders. And he's a little bit ticked. Because he knows that he's getting ready to check out. So what he is saying is, I want you to be aware of leaders in the church who would desire to use and exploit and to destroy God's people for their own personal gain. So we're going to look at how to be aware of an exploiter or false teachers, false prophets, false leaders. Those who really would use the church and use God's people for their own personal gain. See, Peter didn't want these people to be gullible or to get sucked into the vortex of these people's influence. But he also doesn't want us to become cynical when we see it happen. You know what I mean? Uh, A number of years ago when I first started out in ministry, uh, it was at a time when all of these scandals were taking place and all these just awful things were being exposed in the television media and evangelists and even in some churches. And it was like headlines week after week. And so we're in, I'm in this pastor's meeting with these pastors. They're talking about how are we going to deal with this as a church? How are we going to communicate this as a church so that we don't sound like we're, you know, picking on people or, you know, condemning people? But we've got to answer it because people have got questions. And it was at that time because people started leaving the church because they said, wow, all this shenanigans going on and all this stuff is crazy. So we're talking and we're trying to come up with all these plans and I'm listening to all these really smart guys talking about what we should do and how we should deal with it. And finally, this old, 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 old preacher stands up and he just simply says this. Never forget, gentlemen, there's always been Turkey. There'll always be turkeys. Just follow Jesus. And can I tell you something? That's the best way to be. There's always, the church is always going to deal with this. And Peter is really saying the same thing. There's turkeys. But you've got to be aware. You've got to make sure that you're aware. And that's why he finishes off chapter 1 with a focus on God's word to keep people on course. You have to understand, people, uh, Peter has seen a lot in his ministry. He's almost at the end of his life. So 
you know, if he's in his 60s, he's probably walked with Jesus for 30 or 40 years, and this is probably about 65, 68 A.D., so he's, he's seen a lot of stuff. He's seen the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. And he is part of this story, uh, a guy called Simon the Magician. Some of your translations will say Simon the Sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, 9 through 25. You, I'd recommend you read that just to get the background on it. But <clears throat> um, Philip, he's, he's preaching the gospel in Samaria, and people are coming to Christ. But there's this second expression that was taking place in the early church. And it was called the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so Philip probably wasn't real sure about how it all worked. So he calls Peter, the one we're talking about today. He calls Peter and John. He says, hey, would you come and would you pray for people? Would you lay hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit? So these guys, these two guys come and they're going through Samaria. Now Simon, the magician, he's been watching all this stuff going on. And he's thinking, whoa. And then John and Peter come and they begin to lay hands on people. Now, most scholars believe that, that because of what we see through the rest of the book of Acts, that when these hands were laid and people were prayed for, that, that these people started speaking in tongues. That there was just this manifestation of God's spirit <clears throat> as they received it. So now, Simon is over here who's a magician, you know, he's got to love all this kind of, you know, slide, quote, slide of hand stuff. So he's watching it, and these people are doing that, and what does he do? He goes, hey, wow, I want that. And they look at him, you know, Peter and John look at him and says, hey, dude, I paraphrase, this, isn't, this stuff isn't for sale. As a matter of fact, they said some things to him, like, you know something? You know, be careful, because God's going to deal with you this way if, uh, you know, if you keep thinking this way. What, is, what does Simon do? He doesn't repent and say, oh, wow, forgive me, I'm wrong, and God, forgive me that I didn't see it the right way. He just simply says, oh, man, I hope nothing befalls me like this. It's interesting because Simon, history tells us, legend tells us, <coughs> excuse me, that he was the one, that, one of the main people that introduced Gnosticism into the early church. Uh, the Apostle John, who was part of this praying time with Peter, uh, he writes First John to be able to combat and to refute this heresy, this bad teaching called Gnosticism. In its essence, one of the things that Gnosticism taught was that matter was good, excuse me, that matter was evil and the spirit was good, which is really the, was the antithesis of what we believe and what the scripture teaches. Because we believe that our spirit is bad and needs to be redeemed by the Spirit of God because we're born in iniquity. And that matter, everything around us, eh, it's amoral. It's simply what you do with it. And then he began to teach because of this Gnostic thinking that it was a higher thinking and that because Jesus was man and matter, he really couldn't be God. So he begins to diminish the deity of Jesus Christ. And so uh, John writes First John to really refute that. Well, it's interesting because, um, again, uh, legend tells us that uh, Simon here ends up going insane and burying himself. Basically died that way. And it's interesting because Peter now, he's some years later, probably 25 to 35 years later, he's writing now about these false teachers, knowing that they've already had, they've infused themselves into the church. Now, we do that today. Now, that was uh, the early church that 
Peter dealt with with Simon. Now he's dealing with it, like I say, 20, 25 years later with the church again because he says, I'm checking out. You need to know this stuff. Don't forget it. I want you to remember it. But isn't it part of our culture? And if you've been around the church for any amount of time, you've seen some really crazy stuff take place. And it's been going on for years as well, back in 1926. Uh, a gentleman named Sinclair Lewis, he wrote a book called Elmer Gantry. It's a story uh, of a man who basically, and it came out in a movie in 1960 with Burt Lancaster starring. It's basically the shenanigans of a, he, he wrote the book because he was studying the church back in 1925, 26. He was studying the church and revivalism and he was studying all these evangelists and he started doing research on it. He said, I'm going to write a book about this. So he takes kind of a compilation of some of the things that he learned and saw and heard, and that's what it was. Well, Elmer Gantry was basically one of these guys who just did it for the show and the money. Uh, good movie. Uh, never read the book. But it just tells about this guy, Elmer Gantry, who really didn't have a relationship with God. He was a womanizer. He was a skirt chaser. And he was a drinker and uh, really never finished anything in his life and had just you know, stuff that followed him everywhere. So it's not like this is all new stuff. We've got false teachers, false leaders, false people everywhere in the church. Now, as I say this, uh, I've been in ministry for almost 40 years now. I've only met two people that I believe fit the description of things that I'm talking about today in all my years. I work with a lot of pastors and church leaders, and, and I want to say that except for two of them that I've met, I, I, all of them have incredible hearts, wonderful motives, and their focus is Jesus Christ and the church. So as, I, as we talk about this stuff, I don't want you to get all this negativity because it's a pretty negative talk in a way. And you're going to see why because of the language that Peter uses. But I've only met what I believe to be two people in all my years who would fit in this category. So I don't want you to look around and go, oh, wow, them, them, this, you know. It's uh, it, most men, people I know love Jesus and want to lead people to him. But Peter's going to use some pretty big, pretty extreme language here. Now, Peter's a fisherman by occupation, but he's commissioned by Jesus to be a shepherd and lead God's people by vocation. We see that in John chapter 21 when Jesus, he's, he's confronting Peter on the seashore and making him a little bit of egg McMuffin and fish filet. And he says, listen, Peter, this is what I want you to do. I want you to feed my sheep. It's a new calling. That's going to be what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And that's what Peter enters into. And then in Acts chapter 20, Peter was really well aware of these words that Paul would have spoken to the church at Ephesus. He'd been there three years and he was leaving. He started and he basically pastored this church for three years. And as he leaves, he gives them this admonition. He says, you know something? I never failed to tell you the whole counsel of God. I preached everything to you. There's nothing that I backed away from. And as he leaves, he says there's three things that a pastor should do. There's three things that a leader in the church should do. They should lead you. They should lead you well. They should feed you. They should feed you well, and they should protect you. Because when I leave, there's going to be wolves coming in in sheep clothes that are going to want to take advantage of you. And can I tell you something, loved ones? It's the same thing today. That's my job. Lead you, feed you protect you. That's every pastor's call.
calling. Because here's the deal. If I don't protect you and I don't lead you, if I just simply feed you, all I'm doing is making you fatten for a kill later on. I want to walk through this passage. It's a, long, it's a, it's a fairly lengthy passage. Um, I don't want to spend two weeks on it because I think you would probably not want to come back next week after today if you knew I was going to do two weeks on it. Um, because it's just, it's, it's that kind of stuff. But there's some very important things. I said this last service, because I really didn't know how to close the service. I just, um, but I said, you know something, if, if, if you don't get anything else out of this, let's say you're going to leave this church at some point. Here's some great principles in looking for another church. But it's also a kind of a test point for every leader that you ever sit under or look at or listen to. Because here's the deal. You don't know, you'll hardly ever know a true leader until you spend some time with them and around them and under them. Everybody looks good at the start. Here's the bottom line. How do they finish? And that's what Peter's saying. I'm about to finish, and I want to be that sage old spiritual father that speaks into your life. So let's pick it up in chapter 2, verse 1. Thank you. Do you have any coffee to go with that? Uh, no. <laughs> well, let's pick it up. Chapter 2, verse 1, 2 Peter. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there were false teachers and false leaders among you. They're going to bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. And this will bring swift destruction on themselves. Isn't that interesting? that at some point, false teachers, false leaders end up basically denying the very person that gave his life for them. They start off talking about him, but then there comes a subtle shift when they begin to deny him. Oh, is he really real? You know why? Because what happens is, is a lot of times that truth comes out, and it's because people have been drawing people unto themselves. Excuse me, these kinds of people draw people unto themselves, not to Jesus. And then it says they're going to bring, bring destruct, destruction on themselves. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, you've heard me say this before, but it's really important. First Timothy chapter 5, uh, toward the end, they're talking about church discipline with leaders. And, uh, and, and Paul says this to Timothy. He says, never forget, Timothy, some men's sins go before them, and some men's sins follow after them unto destruction. Here's, here's the, my principle that I take from that. Always be a person that pushes your sin and failure out in front of you. Confess it. Take care of it. Let people know about it. I mean, you know, not everybody, but, but the right people know about it. Get it out there. Why is that? Because a lot of people want to hide it. A lot of people want to keep it back here. But here's the problem. Sooner or later, it comes out. Sooner or later, it gets exposed. And because here's what I've learned. What I cover, God will expose. And what I expose, God will cover. I mean, unless it's something really, really bad that needs to be exposed, as 1 Timothy chapter 5 would talk about. But here's the deal. We all have sin. We're not, no, no one's perfect. But people that are growing and hearing the voice of God, the best thing you can do is get that stuff out in front of you. 
Because what a lot of spiritual leaders, what a lot of spiritual teachers, what a lot of people do is they hide their stuff. But the sad thing is it always comes out. And when it does, it's usually destructive. He says, many will follow their depraved ways. Don't you ever wonder why you go? Don't you ever think, man, how could, how could that person have such a following? But it's because of this, because charisma and skill is attractive to people. That's the kind of culture. We live in this celebrity culture, and it's the same in Christianity. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They'll change it. They'll manipulate it. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation has been pronounced long ago. It's not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. Notice that word there. They will exploit you in their greed. You know, Peter's challenging these people. He's a little bit miffed. He's a little bit fired up because of what he's seen and what he's seen. And he says, I want you to keep your brain engaged, but your spirit sensitive to everything that's going on around you. Because everybody who talks about God isn't necessarily right on. This is a shock for some, especially maybe those who are new to the faith or just kicking the tires of it. Learn there are people who will use God and religion for personal purposes and personal gain at the expense of others. That's what Peter's saying here. That word exploit, it means to make merchandise of, use for personal gain. We're called, loved ones, to be wise as serpents, gentle as lambs, gentle as doves. Why so that we don't get taken advantage of? I remember years ago, that there was um, some friends in our part of the church here, and they had a, uh, a very uh, severely handicapped baby. It was born this way, and it wasn't expected to live past seven or eight. From the time that it was born, it had to live in a, in a wheelchair. And uh, they were part of our church. And uh, these were God-fearing, God-loving, God-believing people. There was this evangelist, this faith healer that was traveling at the time, very well-known on TV all the time, and they said, well, you know, he's coming to Oak, uh, um, o- Oracle Arena. So uh, this was probably back in the mid to late 90s. Comes, and they take their son in there who's in this wheelchair. And as soon as they come in, they got there early because they said if people wanted to be prayed for, they'd come early. And they said, it finally hit us. They went in with this baby in a wheelchair, and they said, go over there. You, you, you go over there. And over there was like way over there. And then there was other people that were walking in on crutches and walking in with other things, and they would sit them in the front. See where that's going? So you could bring this people, this person up, and all of a sudden they got crutches and they can throw them, or they can do this, or they can do that. And hear me, I believe in healing and all of that. But here's my thought. Why would you, if you're going to believe for true healing for anybody and everybody, why would you send this little needy one way over there? Because the day knew that unless God did something, they're not going to be able to use that shot for TV and promotion and getting the crowd all worked up there. See, to me, uh, that's, that's not real. And those people walked away devastated because it finally hit them. This is a show. Now hear me, lest you think I'm being critical. I believe there's probably people that went there and they got healed. You know why? 
Because if you read Philippians chapter 1, 15 and 16, Paul says there's turkeys. He doesn't use that term. But he says there are people that are preaching the gospel. They're doing it out of selfish ambition and personal gain. But let's just go thanks be to God that the gospel's being preached. And here's what I know. See, God doesn't always honor the person. That often gets exposed, but he will always honor his word. And that's why when you look around, you see some of these people doing these egregious things in the name of God that they're not just zapped. Because God says there's people that are going to go there in faith and they're going to get something because of the power of his word. I'm not talking about here that if you come... I'm not talking about abuse. You know, some people get, you know, they use this word abuse and they kind of throw it around. If you're part of any group, I don't care if it's a school, I don't care if it's a church, I don't care if it's your workplace, I don't care if it's uh, playing sports with somebody, stuff is going to happen. Do you, you know that? It usually happens. People get hurt and bumped and bruised because they have these expectations that people put on other people or they give too much control over to somebody else or they take responsibility or don't take responsibility. But if you hang in a group long enough, hear me, loved ones, you'll probably get bumped or bruised. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff that happens. I tell people every time I do one-on-one, if you hang around Creekside long enough, I will say something or I will do something to offend you. And it will not be purposeful. I will not do it because I just go, I don't care. Because I try and monitor and marshal my words very closely. And you don't know how many times I've had to go and say, I'm sorry for I said that on a Sunday morning or personally or in a group. I'm not talking, though, about that kind. I'm talking, this is talking about spiritual abuse where people and leaders exploit the people of God for personal gain. And people get corrupted by that away. And it's because they move and they begin to use their personal giftings and their personality and their personage for personal gain. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Here's where it gets a little darker. For if God can't spare the angels who sinned, but he cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment. It talks about that in Jude chapter 6. It talks about in the book of Revelation. That these, these angelic beings that rebelled against God in heaven. Ezekiel talks about it, um, and that's where we get the fallen angels. He says, listen, if, if, if he's going to send them to hell, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, which is family of eight, when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord shows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. What he's saying is coming. His track record is, I love people, but there's a day of reckoning coming. 
And he says, these people that we're talking about this morning, they're going to face it. Especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and they despise authority because they're bold, arrogant person, people. They're not afraid to slander the glorious ones, whether it's the angels or whether it's the former prophets or whether it's people above them. They, got, they, they don't even think about it. They just slander them. Did I bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord? Peter's anticipating, I believe, a question here. Man, if this is what's going to happen to them, how do I know I'm going to make it? I mean, all of a sudden, Peter gets off and does a riff. He's talking about the bleakness of hell and who's going there. He's talking about those who suffered in the flood, that of all of these people, only eight people lived to tell about it and to, and to repopulate the earth, a righteous family of Noah. And then he talks about this, the first atomic explosion at Sodom and Gomorrah where he just incinerates all these people. But he goes on to say, but don't worry. God knows. He knows how to take care of business. He knows those whose hearts are sensitive and authentic and they're oriented toward him. And God says those people are going to make it. On the basis of that scripture right there in verse 9, I have a, that's why we'll talk about it a little bit next week about the coming of the Lord as Peter talks about it. But, but here's the deal. I don't believe that we're going to go through the tribulation. I don't believe we're going to experience that expression of the judgment. And you have to understand, I'm going to get off track, I've got to be careful, but, you know, there's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. And, and I'm a real firm believer in pre-trib because of Jesus protects his people, the righteous, from judgment. He doesn't protect them from troubles necessarily, but it says here that he protects them from judgment. And it's important that you, you see that that's the way God works. Because I got to tell you, when I was younger and I, and I was just starting ministry, and all of a sudden, all these people were falling around me. I'm not kidding you. I used to think, who in the world am I? I was this young 20-something kid that just graduated from Bible college. I had only known the Lord for six years. And I go, how can I make it if these people are falling? And it just became really, well, you know what? God's going to be with you. Just walk with him. Focus on him. And that's what Peter's saying. And part of that, what I learned back then, is the importance of healthy accountability. It's an important part that you see in people in the Bible, this healthy accountability, that you are accountable to others who walk with the Lord. And I mean to walk with the Lord in a way that you go, I can learn, I can receive from them. They can help you grow. They can kind of pull you along in their wake because you trust them and you know they love you. I learned that back then, that if I didn't have people, I have a church council that I go to. I have two bosses that I go to. I have a Friday morning men's group that I share a lot of my life with and struggles with because I trust them. Keeps me honest. Keeps me from hiding out and just standing up here and telling you stuff. 
That's an incredible and important part, loved ones. Our church does that. We're part of a denomination. We don't talk about it a lot, but anything that I face, anything that I go through here, uh, I not only tell our church council, but I got two, two people that I go, here's what's going on. Now, I work with churches, and most of them don't do that. I do. You know why? Because I learned back then. I am not strong enough. If I don't have something of, that i got to be accountable to, man, I can go off the rails. I can go off pretty quick. And so could you. Not because we're bad people, as much as we're sinners and we're human. But see, we don't like to be vulnerable. We don't like to expose our hearts and our lives. But see, the human heart for many, has a hard time operating without some expression of this accountability taking place. I'm talking about healthy accountability. This isn't the kind of church where, you know, there's churches that you'll go to and they'll say, oh, you're going to run everything through the pastor staff before you make any big decision. Oh, man, should I get a 72-inch or 54-inch TV? Are you kidding me? And there's, there's churches that used to believe that kind of accountability. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying where you've just, there's two or three or four people that you are living for God and you can expose yourself to so you don't careen over the guardrails because you've removed yourself from healthy accountability. I encourage everybody in this church to have those people. I don't think I'd make it this long if I didn't. Verse 11, it says, However, angels who are greater in might and power do not bring slanderous charge against them before the Lord. But these people, these false teachers, false leaders, false prophets, they're like irrational animals. Creatures of, distinct, of instinct are born to, to be caught and destroyed. They slander, they speak against whatever they do not understand. And in their destruction, they too will be destroyed. That's what ultimately happens. God's slow, but he always knows what he's going to do. Remember this, sometimes we forget. We think that God's going to, he's on the war path to get us. That's not, Hebrews, excuse me, Numbers 32, 23 says this, be sure your sins will find you out. God has set that in motion. He says they'll be paid back with harm for the harm that they have done. That's why we don't have to take revenge. That's why sometimes we don't even have to defend ourselves. God will take care of it. They consider it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. The idea there is that, you know, a, a lot of times people do their no-nos and bad stuff at night when, quote, nobody sees them. But he says, you know what? These people become so blatant. They become so free. They become so, well, as Peter said, arrogant, they do it in the day. They begin to think that they can do anything, anywhere, anytime. He says they are spots and they're blemishes, and they delight in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery that never stop looking for sin. Wow. See, their adultery... Literally adultery, you know, where they'll be, be, be sexually active with other people. They'll, be, they'll seduce people. They use sexuality um, to attract them and to seduce them. And then what's the adultery? Well, it could also be they'll be adulterous with God. One minute they're over here with God, and then the next minute they're over here doing these other things. They seduce unstable people. 
and have hearts trained in greed. That's what you'll always find with this person. They'll go for the weak, the needy, the helpless, the hopeless. And that's who they'll begin to build because they know that those people will be attracted to them even more than Jesus Christ. And so they begin to build everything around that. Their children under a curse. They've gone astray by abandoning the straight path and they've followed the path of Balaam, the son of Basar, who loved the wages of wickedness but received a rebuke for his lawlessness. Took a speechless donkey who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So Peter's identifying all these people who use God and their gifts to take advantage of other people for their own own purposes and ambitions. He says they despise authority. See, that's part of this accountability thing, loved ones, is that, listen, uh, submission will always take you farther. Submission will always take you farther than your independence. Submission will always take you farther than your ambition. And that's true for spiritual leaders. Because there's safety and submission and openness. But a lot of people, they become very ambitious and they lose sight of the purpose of that holy ambition that God has placed in their heart. Now, he uses this example of the prophet Balaam. You can read about Balaam in Numbers 22 through 24. I don't, want to, I don't have time to go through the whole story. I've got to get through this. But he's a guy that basically uh, uh, the Moabites with King um, Balak come and ask him if he would prophesy against God's people. Well, basically, Balaam was on God's payroll. So he goes, and they ask him, and he says, no, I can't do that. And they go back, and then they come back, and they send another contingency of people, and they say, listen, we really want you to come and prophesy. Because, see, Balak, King Balak and the Moabites, they were really concerned that God was going to destroy them because they'd been conquering people all around them, and they understood the power of who God was. So they're afraid that they're gonna, he's going to destroy them as he hit some other nations. So they're trying to say, listen, Balaam, we know that you are a prophet of prophets, and what you says goes. So would you prophesy, would you speak a curse against God's people? And he goes, no. Well, they come back a second time and said, listen, here's the deal. We will, we will back up the Brinks truck if you will do this. And he goes, well, you know, it wouldn't matter if it was gold and silver flushed in that Brinks truck, my paraphrase. I wouldn't do it, hint, hint, hint. There's something that God knew about Balaam that he was kind of open to. So Balaam, after he's told him no twice, he says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to check with God again. So why don't you guys just go camp outside for the night? So he gets back and he contacts God, prays to God, and God says, you know what, just do it. And most scholars believe that the reason that he said just do it is because God's just kind of tired of him. Because God, you know, he, he doesn't, well, you want to do something? Okay. Go ahead. So he lets him go. But he says this, don't you say anything that I don't say. So he's going, and all of a sudden he's on this donkey that he's had for years, and this donkey sees it was something that Balaam doesn't remember. He sees this angel with this big sword drawn. Stops him. Well, it really ticks Balaam off because he's just stopped in the middle of the road, so he starts beating him. Well, he finally gets the donkey to go again. The donkey goes over into a ditch to move away from this big angel with a sword. 
So he's sitting down there, and he's beating him again. Finally, a third time, and he gets up, and he hits his foot against the um, against some wall that was there, some divider, and, and he beats him again. Finally, the donkey just says, that's it, and he sits down. And he looks at him, so to speak, and he goes, what are you, what are you, what are you beating me for? I haven't done anything. You're the one disobeying, you know? And then finally it hits him, and he begins to see this angel of the Lord as well. Well, here's the point. Balaam was a gifted prophet. He doesn't go and curse them, but he does speak different words for two chapters. He gives these five oracles. And it's almost as if he does enough just to angle around. But here's the point. He uses this gifting that God has given him illegitimately. He doesn't just say no. He doesn't just say, I'm not even speaking to your people. You deal with God. There's a little bit of compromise there. And here's, here's the thing. He shows us that, motiva- that motivations are just as important as our actions. And the dangerous deception of maintaining an outward religious facade while we're inward, inwardly corrupt will always cause us problems. That's why he uses this example. He says, listen, these guys, they got this religious facade, but, there's, but they're corrupt inside. They got all of this stuff that he's been talking about going on. He says, these people, verse 17, these people are springs without water, mists driven by storms. They got no direction. You think they're going to bring you refreshment, but they're not. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them. For by uttering boastful, empty words they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery. People who have barely escaped from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. Have you ever seen people like that? Man, they want to tell you how to live, but you look at them and you go, you, you, you're not even free of whatever you're trying to tell me I can be free of. That's how these people live. For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and they're defeated. And the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. I don't like that. Those are some strong words. He says, you'd be better off, you false teachers, false leaders, false prophets. You'd have been better off if you never knew. And I don't even know what that means. I can't tell you. Peter said it. It's happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. It just keeps going back to the same junk. And a washed sow returns to willowing in the mud. It gets clean, but it always go back to the dirt. Those are some strong words. Aren't you glad you came on Labor Day? <laughs> Let me give you some negative things about spotting exploiters, and then I want to close with a few positive things. These people, they come and they pass on heresy. It comes in two areas, blatant doctrinal beliefs, usually focus on a few key beliefs that push people to extreme beliefs. Ultimately, it begins to lead to devaluing people spiritually. And it becomes divisive, and it can cause divisions among people. 
You know, when, when a false teacher, false leader, false prophet, if they show up, they're not going to have a sign that says that. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, I'm a false prophet. And you're not even going to be able to tell it for a while because they're going to infuse more truth than they are with heresy and false teaching. It's going to get subtle, but it's going to sound good. There's a hermeneutical principle uh, in studying the Bible that says any truth taken to an extreme becomes an untruth. How many of those do we see even today to some degree? Boy, if you give a hundred bucks, you know, you'll get a thousand back. I am a true believer in the law of reciprocity that as you give, you receive. But don't take it to the extreme. How about people that say you should be healed? Bless God, you should be healed. So people come, they want to be healed, and they're not healed. What does the person say? Well, brother, sister, if you just had more faith. Faith is critical. We see that in the New Testament. Prayers are critical. But do you realize that we serve a God that is sovereign? He's not an Aladdin's lamp that we rub and go, heal me. Study the life of Jesus. Study how many people he didn't heal. It'll shock you. And so when you get some of these beamed up preachers that say, hey, everybody should be healed. It's not true. And then you walk away. I wasn't healed. What, what, what happened to me? And then you feel diminished spiritually. Or what's really bad is you diminish other people spiritually because maybe you got healed. But somebody else didn't. Well, I had faith to do it. Some preachers will say things like this. You've got to be baptized to get to heaven. You've got to speak in tongues to get to heaven. Those are heresies. That's not true. Be aware of what people are teaching. Well, you know the Bible, I kind of believe it, sort of, kind of. I mean, it's pretty good. But I just kind of like to focus on what Jesus says. No. It's what the whole Bible says. It's the whole counsel of God. They used the Old Testament when Jesus taught. It hasn't gone away. Now, the principles of it all have been fulfilled through Jesus. Be careful because they pass on heresies. Uh, secondly, they're greedy and exploitive. Most are concerned about what they get with little regard for the free will of man and the human dignity. And they aim to exploit. Remember the word exploit there. It's to merchandise people. They love getting from others. They love telling others what to do. They love giving an opinion because they kind of have a Messiah complex and they want everybody to know it. Thirdly, they have large appetites and loose morals. Very often these people are un unable for the long haul to live with the boundaries of various appetites. So they exploit people and their goods. They use their sexuality or, or sexual ways for personal gain. That's what Peter's saying throughout here. They've got this stuff that's so out of line. It's especially true today because we deal with all these sexual addictions and family dysfunctions. That if people don't work through it, if we can't bring our stuff to the table and say, this is what I deal with, and be accountable for it, it will come out in negative ways. It'll be exposed. I told you, I think a while back, one of my bosses, he said this, just remember this, that whatever is in you, ministry will bring it out of you. I see it all the time with ministers and ministries, the pressures, the people issues, the expectations, the demands. Stuff gets squeezed out of you in the heat of ministry. It's like this crucible. 
And because of that, we face so many temptations in a number of areas. And when we, we have this stress that we're dealing with, and if we got all these issues that we're not dealing with and, and accountable for and understanding, what it does is it pops them up to the surface. And as we carry people's problems, we get criticized when no matter what we do and we're just trying to help people, it begins to squeeze. We're trying to deal with the balance of ministry and the business side of it, yet trying to stay centered with spiritual care and nurturing people. When those things happen, when you have this conglomeration of all of these things and they begin to coalesce in one's life, guess what? It's really easy to slip up and fall from that. And you can apply that to your job. Like Balaam, people use legitimate gifts for illegitimate gain. How many people do we see that have these great legitimate God-given skills and gifts, but over time they realize it, and then they begin to use it for their own personal gain? It's the same, like I said, we live in a culture of celebrity. We always have. Study the New Testament. You know what you'll see? The church of Corinthians, it was the most gifted church, but it was the most divided and it was the most carnal. You'll see that sometimes in people. Some of the most gifted people will be the most carnal. Why is that? Because they can stand and they can talk or they can do other things. And they can be so winsome with people and people will just follow them. But what happens is, is they begin to do this thing called ministry. And that's what these false teachers do. They go into it and they begin to say, I'm all this and that much more. Look at all the people that are following me. And then they will quit developing the character that will undergird and build up their charisma and skill set. I had this friend, this is Butch Plummer. He's Jim Plummer's younger brother. Died of cancer in uh, 1999. And when I first came here in 92, he was kind of one of my mentors, come down with cancer, and we, we spent time together. I had him come up and speak to the church. Very gifted, very gifted man. Well, he was really good friends with my college pastor, um, who was a really incredibly gifted man. And, um, and, and he, was, they were, he was telling me this story as he's mentoring me about character. And he said, one day I was driving with Roy Hicks, Jr., and we were talking about this person on his staff who was one of the most charismatic, gifted communicators, disciplined people, and, and I knew him personally as well. He was a friend of mine. And he was talking to Roy about him, and he found out that this guy had started looking for another job behind his back. And so as they're talking about this guy, Roy just turns his car over to the right, to the side of the road, comes to a screeching halt, and he looks at Butch, and he goes, listen, bud, don't ever forget that charisma and competency equals character. It will, that the charisma and competency does not equal character. Charisma and discipline does not equal character. Er, takes off. And never forget that, loved ones. When skill and charisma and discipline begin to surpass and eclipse character, trouble is just around the corner. These people, they offer freedom, but in fact, they lead into bondage. There's a lot of people who say, follow me and you'll be free, when in fact, they'll ultimately just simply lead to bondage and a lot of freedom. Here's the deal. Try quitting a church and moving on. <laughs> 
try leaving a church, what do they do? Do they tell you you need to stay there? Do they tell you if you leave, something bad's going to befall you? I'm always shocked when people come here and they go, yeah, it took me two years to leave that church because people told me, oh, if you do, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be bad for you. You can't leave. God called you here. Are you kidding me? It's not a cult. No job, no other person, no church. Nobody owns you. You're God's. I'm reading a book called Jonestown. It's about uh, uh, Jim Jones in 1978. What did he do? You know, he was a great preacher here in San Francisco. He preached the gospel. He prayed for healing for people. People were healed. He says, I'm going to give you freedom. But pretty soon, people started questioning him. And then he started saying, no, you're going to be mine. And what does he end up doing? He says, if you want a real freedom, move with me to Jonestown in Guyana. And you know the rest of the story. 900 people, mass suicide. Am I saying everybody does that? No. But you get the, be careful of people that want to own you. I'm always shocked when people come to Creekside and they say, oh, man, I couldn't leave that other place. There's no freedom in that. True leaders free you. They don't hold you. Uh, these people, Peter's talked about, they start strong, but they have a low commitment to finish. Many of these people start with great intentions, maybe proper motivation, but they don't finish because the end, their stuff comes out and people begin to go, whoa, now I see it. Stephen Berglis, I haven't done a talk on this, but I'm going to sometime. He did this incredible story back in the early 90s where he, he talked about a person's fame and their success, that when their fame and their success exceeds their self-worth, they crash. Many of them do. Why is that? It's because, see, especially in this, in this thing called Christianity, when we begin to hide stuff and we begin to, to, to put stuff under the surface, we can't live with that because we know it's got to come out. When we begin to see God do things that go beyond who we are, and if we don't have the character development, if we don't have the strength of character, and we don't understand that we're just being used by God, you'll set yourself up for a crash. And when he wrote this book, he was talking about people like Pete Rose and Steve, uh, Bill Clinton and a number of other celebrities, politicians that failed miserably because their self-worth couldn't handle their success. Now, this is negative, I know. Let me close with just a few positive things. These are traits of people builders. Number one, they have orthodox underpinnings. They understand there's nothing new under the sun. Peter says, avoid the extremes and the fads. The gospel, this is the word that's been there for two, 3,000 years. Don't get caught up in these new fads and these new beliefs. It's all about Jesus and his word. Anything that doesn't lead back to these two things, don't buy it. Receive and give with proper motivation in God's kingdom. Money's a big area. Do the people that you're going to follow, do they use proper teaching and motivation for receiving and giving? Do they teach you to free you and to feed you, or is it to fleece you and to get from you? Do they want to free you to be a giver, or do they want to fleece you to line their own pockets? 
few months ago, probably six months ago, I said, I, I want to start. I had some discretionary funds. So I said, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give to this organization over here. Uh, only one of them out of four was a Christian group. And it was five, six months ago. So I, I just gave all these um, four groups some money that I felt like I really liked what they were doing. Can I tell you what happened since then? You probably know. I now am being on the solicitation list of about 40 other groups. What did they do? They fleeced me. I'm trying to be a good person. And now I got 40 people every day in the mail. Someone's asking. I just told Trina today I'm not giving anymore. I'm just going to do it through the church now. Have you ever done that with a Christian organization? They get up and they, you get these letters. Oh, Dear friend of the ministry, just got up this morning, I thought about you. You're on my heart, my mind, my soul, and I started praying for you. Probably something going on in your life, along with the other 200,000 people I'm writing. And um, I'm just wondering if you can find it in your heart and send me a little money. See, what's the motivation? Is it God's kingdom? Respect human dignity. People have a free will. People that build people, they don't violate someone's free will even though they know they could live that life's, that person's life better than them. You know anybody like that? You could live their life better? But you don't because they have dignity. And that's not your calling. We help people. We assist people to move and to grow forward. But we're not going to live their life for them and tell them how to do this Christian thing. We're going to assist them and teach them. But everyone's got to pick up their own stuff. A people builder says, I don't know. God alone is all-knowing. Be careful of the person that has all the answers, that's always right. Last one is a directional lifestyle. Live for Jesus. Lead people to Jesus. If people are drawing, them, drawing people to themselves, run. Because Jesus says, I am the giver of life. And I will make you free. Don't allow yourself to get cynical with all the turkeys, loved ones. God is bigger and the gospel is more important. Don't be gullible. Love people and trust God. We get that backwards. We want to trust people and love God. Don't do it. Because if you trust people, they'll let you down. Because whenever you trust them, they have expectations on you. Or you'll have expectations on them. And it, 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 just, it, it just sets you up for being let down. Trust God. Love people. Last thing is this. Don't blame God. Trust God. He knows. He sees he has the last word. That's what I love. Let's stand. Okay. I trespassed on your time. I apologize. <laughs> Forgive me. But I didn't think you'd want to listen to this two weeks in a row. This is the truth. Be aware. Trust God and love people. Amen? Amen. Lord bless you. You're loved. Have a great day. Get your kids, please.